1: Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we are webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders Headquarters in Tarzana, California. It's Tuesday. So thrilled to be back here. I hope everybody had a wonderful St. Patrick's Day yesterday and wore lovely green so you didn't get pinched. Uh, When I was a kid, we didn't have the pinching. I don't understand that. Maybe it was just an East Coast thing. I grew up on the East Coast of uh, the United States and there was no pinching. But I always had my green on with a name like Shannon. Of course, I had to wear the green. So, uh, And I hope that you guys had an opportunity. If you haven't already, it's there on the, on our sites. You can watch it on YouTube. We had the wonderful Holly Robinson Pete with us on Friday. It was such a wonderful hour to spend with her. And I have to say, you know, a lot of times you see people and uh, you see them on television or you see them in, in whatever movie that they're in and you don't know if they're really like that. And, I, and she really is the real deal. What a nice person person. person. On camera and off camera, I just want you to know that what you saw here is how she is uh, really lovely, strong but very kind woman, uh, somebody that I I really look up to. So definitely take a look at that interview. We had a great, great time with her. A lot of you wrote in questions that we didn't get to. And I promised Holly that I would forward them to her. Some of you included a way to get back. Others of you didn't. I don't know what to do about that. Um, if you sent in a question, uh, for Holly and we didn't get to it and you know that you didn't put your email I'll tell you what do me a favor and today at some point send your question again and include your email where she can get back to you so that I can forward that to her because I feel bad that she doesn't have a way to get back to you uh, she said she would find a way to tweet or whatever and I will send them to her uh, either way if you don't want to include your information but Um, You know, it'd be easier if if there was an actual email. All right. Uh, We are going to be with you live for the next two hours. I'm really looking forward to it. We talk about autism from a 360 degree perspective here and what that means. You know, I've I've taken to saying that quite a bit and somebody said to me the other day, what exactly does that mean? And I said, we don't just talk about one thing. We talk about all the different things that are entailed in either having a child who's on the spectrum or if somebody is on the spectrum themselves the kinds of things that they will encounter that means we'll talk about news stories that and we're gonna do that today both the good and the bad right Uh, because there's always the good and the bad Uh, we'll talk about what it's like financially what the pressures are what the stress is how we can take care of ourselves completely and and be healthy and have the members of our family be healthy both physically and mentally and and then everything else on top of that, because we wanna be able to get to progress. And and we do talk about ABA here a lot, and we are gonna talk about ABA a lot this week. And I, this year, have said, I really wanna talk about quality ABA, because as more and more people are getting ABA, I'm seeing and I'm hearing from all of you that sometimes the ABA that you're getting is not up to par with what we what we really need it to be for you to be able to see that progress. We know that it's not all created equally, so it's important. Uh, I know when I started quality ABA with my child, I didn't know what quality ABA was. And there was a moment in which I, I kind of thought that's what all ABA I didn't know how lucky I was, right? I want you to know if you are lucky, how lucky you are. And if you aren't being lucky, I want to know, I want to be able to tell you what you need to do to get to that space where you can say, yeah, I'm really lucky. I'm getting quality ABA as well. And why? and why. That, I think that's as important as anything else, because when you know why you want to get quality ABA therapy, then you go, okay, I want to do that. But to say that and to do that, it, it really is not the only thing that you need to do, right? If all we ever did was quality ABA therapy, but we didn't take care of the child's Medical health, right? We're not going to get as far if we're trying to do quality ABA therapy and you lose your home and you're homeless. It's going to be really difficult to do quality ABA. I remember saying to somebody, "Well, if we have to, we'll do it from a cardboard box." But the reality, you know, those those, those are some big words, right? Um, but the reality is, is that we need to keep our kids safe. We need to keep them interested, we got to make things reinforcing for them, and we have to make it reinforcing for ourselves in order to get to all that progress. It really is a very multifaceted journey, this journey through autism, and it is not one size fits all. And we're really going to take a little bit of time today to talk about that very specifically uh, in just a little while. we During the show, when we were having Holly Robinson-Pete on the other day, someone was tweeting us, and they tweeted us several times with a question that really touched all of our hearts here at Autism Live, and it's something that I wanted to take some time to address. Because they said, what about the kids who are more profoundly affected? And and why do I always feel like my child, who is not on the Aspie ends of things, is always being left out? And we're really going to delve into that a little bit today. So, all of this that's why I say 360 degrees there's so much to talk about but the whole thing is meant to be interactive we really want you to drive the bus here we want you to tell us what you're interested in hearing about what's tearing your ticket I love that this dad wrote into us and said you know it bugs me that you don't talk about this so we're going to talk about it today uh, but Emily's going to show you some of the different ways that you can get in touch with us here so that you can be interactive with us and have your voice be heard tell us the topics that you want to cover ask the questions that you you want to ask so that we can ask them of the experts that we have here on the show Uh, I will remind you while while Emily is showing you this that autism-live.com is our home page you can absolutely go there and find lots of information you can click on the blog but there's also a desktop a virtual desktop there and on the desktop sits a computer and if you click on the triangle that's on the computer screen you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show to the side of that it says there's a white box that says Shannon This is answering right now, Um, and it's. I think it's still saying uh, one of the questions that we asked Holly. It is. Uh, But then underneath that, it says your question. And in that white box, put your cursor there, start typing, and hit enter. You will find, much probably to your surprise, I'm going to take that other question off right now. Uh, Did you see it disappear? you will you will find that when you hit enter that's all there is to it you are not being asked to log in there it's not a club that you have to belong to nobody knows your name or your credit card number or your address right it's completely anonymous and it's completely free and I I think that that's really rather remarkable it does have its drawbacks it does mean that if you don't tell us who you are and where we can get in touch with you then the only way that we have to talk is here which is totally fine Um, but if you do want more information from us you will have to give us more information and I always like to remind and I and I know I, I remember to do this always when we have dr. grandpa Shea here but no one on the show no one on the show can give you child specific or individual specific advice right there is no way in this format that we could know enough now having said that there's a lot that we can talk about that hopefully will help you to figure out what direction you want to go in next sometimes it's even about which question do you want to ask next I've always said that if If you don't even know the questions to ask, then you're really mired in the mud, right? I love recommending having a a, a, a support group that is local and a support group that's more global. And even if you don't participate in it on a daily basis, I love to get a daily digest from my local TACA group. And I see the questions that people ask, and a lot of times the questions that other people ask. Inform me about what I don't know about. So, you know, the, the the first time that I saw somebody saying, How many hours of respite do you get? And I said, what do, you, what do you mean you're getting respite hours? Does that mean somebody's funding it? Come to find out, yes. Respite was available to me and I hadn't asked for it because I didn't even know it was available. I, I honestly, I don't think at that point I even knew what r- the word respite meant. It wasn't a part of my life. So, Sometimes just hearing what other people's questions are are amazing. There's no bad or wrong question. Ask them all and and we encourage you to ask them here and participate as much as you can and would like to. And again, you know, Emily showed you there's lots of other ways to participate, but that live feature is a very quick and pretty instant gratification, right? It's that's what it is, instant gratification and free. So I also like to remind you, excuse me, at the start of the show that while we do have a lot of experts on the show, and we're going to be talking to a great expert a little bit later on in the show, we, I always remind you that I am not one of those experts. That's just not who I am. I am a parent and my son, and I'm a former teacher too. I do like to add that in as well. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half, my, my one and only child. And, uh, you know, when I look back on that day and I see how much it Shifted our lives. I was not a happy camper about it uh, in the beginning. And I wouldn't say that I'm a happy camper about it right now, but I love our lives because my son got help. And because of that help, he made progress. And I remember early on saying to the person who helped direct me in that, you know, so that I got the help um, and found the way to pay for it, I I remember saying to her, How am I ever going to pay you back? And she said, oh, you're not going to pay me back. You're going to pay it forward. So please know that I, I sit here in honor of her and what she taught me to pay it forward. And I, I take that really seriously. So if you need some help, please write in to us and tell us what it is you're looking for and we'll do everything that we can. Um, I, I, I don't. Everything short of, I, I, I don't have a directive to perform miracles, right? But I, I can be a support and help connect you with people who can also support you. And I want to do that for each and every one of you. So write in when you need something and let us know what's going on. It, sometimes. It's- takes us a while and sometimes you have to be a little persistent um And say you know I need this but we try to help as much as we possibly can that's my promise to you all right Uh, we like to start every morning with something that we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day this is when we take on one word one phrase one acronym and we try to make sense of it I've had some people say to me why are you still doing this because I'm learning more jargon I've been on this path now for over eight years and I'm still somebody will say something I go, what's that? I don't know what that is. How would I know what that is? And I don't even, sometimes you look it up on the internet and you find the definition and you go, that doesn't help me. I don't, I'm no closer to understanding what that is. I think it's important that we empower ourselves at every single juncture that we can. Empowerment without overwhelming ourselves, right, because it's easy to get overwhelmed by this jargon. So if we take one word, one phrase a day, and we try to make sense of it, hopefully, and I see in the questions that you guys write, that over time, we build up these terms and we begin to understand them, and that makes us more effective, it makes us more efficient, and we're going to get more done, and that's really the name of the game, right? Okay, so today's term, every once in a while, we return to these things, and it makes sense with our theme today. We're talking about, we're defining what is ABA. And I know a lot of you watch the show on a regular basis and you go, really? But we have new people who turn in tune in every day and we want to make sure that this is a term that we completely understand. So ABA, we start out with our actual definition and ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. Now, do you want to know a trick? I didn't know this for years, but one of the ways that people gauge whether they, they think, you know, what, what you're talking about, uh, and this is a good thing for parents to know is that when you talk about ABA, either say ABA or say Applied Behavior Analysis. If you make the mistake that I frequently was uh, guilty of before I was hanging around with a bunch of BCBAs, if you say Applied Behavioral analysis, uh, Analysis, then they think, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. So make sure you say Applied Behavior Analysis, no Behavioral. It's just one of those things that they go, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, Okay, so here's our definition. The application of the principles of learning and motivation from behavior analysis. Don't you love it when people use the actual words from the phrase in the definition? Drives me buggy. Uh, It employs procedures and technology derived from scientifically demonstrated principles of behavior to increase socially significant behaviors and decrease unwanted or inappropriate behaviors. Okay. And that's socially significant behaviors and uh, that we want to increase and that decreasing of unwanted inappropriate behaviors. That's the core of what we really want to talk about. So let's take a look at our working definition for ABA, applied behavior analysis. It's a proven method of increasing or teaching desired behavior and reducing unwanted behavior. So when we're looking at any child, and, and really I already blew it because I said child, and the, the point of A- ABA is that it isn't just for children. It's for all living things, right? That there are a set of rules uh, that govern behavior. So anything that engages in behavior, we can modify the behavior and we can say, I want to teach a behavior uh, because it's a desired behavior. And uh, using the principles of behavior, we can teach behavior that is desired. And we can also teach desired be, uh, undesired behavior to go away as well. So we can increase behaviors we want to see and decrease behaviors that we don't want to see. We already do this, you and I, all the time. We just don't do it as efficiently and as effectively as we want to do. Uh, The example that I always go to is that my child, when he was diagnosed with autism, uh, was engaging in self-injurious behavior. He was hitting his head on the kitchen floor. Now, if you had asked me, was I in any way encouraging that behavior, I would have been, those would have been fighting words. I would have said to you, are you Out of your mind, I love that little boy with every fiber of my being. Why would I encourage him to hurt himself? That hurts my feelings even now to think about it. And yet, by my actions and through the rules of behavior, I was. I didn't know I was, but I was because somewhere down the line, when my child hit his head on the floor, what I taught him was good things are going to happen after you hurt yourself because I scooped him up and I loved him up and I rubbed his head and I rocked him and I probably breastfed him and cooed to him and sang to him and did all the things that he loved. And in his head, the little wires connected and said, I hit my head and mom does this. Kaboom, good stuff happens. So he started doing it more often. And I would continue to scoop him up because I didn't want him to hurt himself, and I want—I didn't want him to cry, and I would rub his head and rock him and do all these things. Um, I sure didn't know. I sure didn't realize that what I was doing was telling him, hurt yourself, and then you'll get all the things that you want in life. I had to have somebody from the outside, a therapist, come in and redirect me and put that reward on behavior that I wanted to see, which was that I, was, I, I wanted for him to communicate with me in whatever way that he could. And they helped me to do that in a way so that he couldn't hurt himself and that I understood the power of my actions and where and when I placed them. And that's really what ABA is all about, that we make sure, and I know people have probably heard, oh, ABA, and, you know, uh, they punish kids, because people tell that lie. But the truth is that when we look at applied behavior analysis, it's based on what I call principle one, which is that in order for any behavior to become a habit, it has to have some sort of reward. So everything that you do, everything that I do, we do it because there's some sort of a paycheck. Now, that paycheck might be one messed up, nasty, uh, you know, looks like it doesn't make any sense paycheck, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that if it's rewarding to us, we will keep doing that behavior. My son kept hitting his head on the kitchen floor because the paycheck that he got for it was big enough for him. And I just needed to turn that equation on its butt right? And to start giving him a paycheck for behaviors that I wanted to see, I started rewarding the behaviors I I wanted to see and not rewarding the behaviors I didn't want to see. And it did flip the whole thing, flipped it for me as a person, flipped it for me as a mom, and it flipped it for my child and made a pathway for my child to learn and to get excited about learning. And You know, I, I'm going to, you know, tell you right now that I have so much still to learn as a parent because I still react in the moment. And then I go, man, I blew that hard and ugly, right? Uh, So this is one of those things that it's something you practice every day and you learn every day. But when we use the principles of ABA, it's empowering. It's empowering and it's positive. We're giving a reward, uh, a, some sort of a paycheck for behaviors that we want to see. It is not punitive in nature. So uh, I, I, if you're new to ABA, I'm thrilled that you're here because we're going to take a little ride on the ABA train today and all of this week. Um, and we'll still continue to talk about the other things, but really uh, it's a powerful week for ABA. So. We like to start also every morning with a question, something that we ask you guys to answer and we will have time today on Facebook uh, to take a look at what you guys have answered. Here's our question. What one behavior? do you wish you could change now this is open-ended because a lot of times we have parents who are watching and it's a behavior that of your child's that you want to change but other times we have teachers that are watching and it might be one of your students that you want to change and other times we take this ourselves and go you know there's a behavior that i'm doing that i wish that i could change so it could be yourself it could be someone else what behavior do you want to change of someone that's all we want to know because the truth of the matter is, is that we can change behavior. If we're willing to make it worthwhile enough for ourselves and for other people, we can pretty much change any behavior. and. Early on, when uh, in the state of California, uh, there are funding sources for ABA, and one of them is the regional center. And the regional center, though, wants to make sure that parents are going to use their train their training well, and that they'll uphold the principles of ABA. So, before your child can start, before they'll fund your child to get ABA, they require the parents to go through sixteen hours together. Uh, which is hard for an autism family to find 16 hours where neither parent is there and somebody else is taking care of your child, but you must go through it together. 16 hours of parent training for ABA. And... Man, I, I tell you, I still am thanking the friend who watched my child for the 16 hours so that my husband and I could do this across a four-week period. and uh, Cause I don't know, we wouldn't have gotten our funding otherwise. And it was transformative, those 16 hours. And for both my husband and I, but I remember the first day we went in and they said, what five behaviors would you like to change? And then from the five, they narrowed it down and told us what they thought was the most important. But for me, I was like, you know, is this a waste of time? And the guy said, no, because we're going to, whatever we pick, we're going to be able to change that behavior. And then it suddenly, it was like, somebody had just handed me a million dollars and we were figuring out how to spend it. My husband and I were hunched over the table going, all right, should we pick this? Should we pick that? I mean, if it really can change it, what, what are we going to do? And I'll tell you, we ended up with two things on the list. One was that we could not get our child to go to sleep. We were driving the car around at three o'clock in the morning, trying to get him to go to sleep. And the other was that self-injurious behavior. And, and cause I really, I was like, I can't, I can't, it makes me sick when he tries to hurt himself. And the person who was leading the class said, we have to take on the sleep first because, because, what we're going to need to do to stop the self-injurious behavior, you're going to have to be more rested. And within a week, within a week, we had our child, and nobody had come to our home, but using the principles of ABA that we learned in that class, we had our child going to sleep by 9 o'clock at night without having to take a trip in a car cue the angels singing. Uh, I'm telling you, it was absolutely amazing. So I want to, I want to play that game a little bit with you guys. What one behavior do you wish you could change? And let's take it on a little bit later on this hour. And we'll have some of our experts weigh in a little bit later on in the week. Okay. We always have a topic of the week that we like to talk about with you. And I'm, I'm so excited because in the month of March, we're talking about advances in autism, and so this week it's advances in behavior treatment. Uh, I I said recently to somebody, you know, it's this is not your mama's ABA anymore. I know that there is this old-fashioned, broken-down image of ABA that everybody has from 1991, um, and there are all these rumors that circulate about ABA, and I just want to dispel that. ABA is amazing and cutting edge and there's scientific proof to show that it's effective. And it's something that we need to overcome, uh, all of the objections personally, and we need to overcome all of the financial hardships globally that surround ABA so that we can get to the good stuff into the progress. And that's what ABA does. So Uh, We're going to introduce some of the new things that are happening in ABA, so you don't think of it as something that's just stale and and worn out, right? And we've got some amazing guests to talk about those things this week. Very excited about it. So uh, some of the different things that we have going on today on the show, we are going to go over some ABA basics. We've got some autism news that we want to talk about that is upsetting in nature. I'm going to be honest with you, but it's something that we need to talk about because when bad things happen, we need to learn from them, right? And then in the next hour, at the top of the hour, really, we're going to have Thomas Higby, who uh, is an amazing gentleman. Can't wait. We're going to talk with him about video modeling. I know that a couple of months ago, we had Angela Persicky on, who's a BCBA, and she was talking about research Uh, having to do with video modeling and teaching teenagers social skills and so many of you have written in about that study and said you know where can I find out more about this Uh, is there other stuff that we can do video modeling with and so I asked around and I said who's the person Who's the person that we can talk about uh, video modeling with? And I was told that it is Dr. Thomas Higby, and he is coming up to us from State University of Utah. So that will be at the top of the hour. You're not gonna want to miss that. But ever so much more that we have to talk about. And we're gonna start, uh, we're gonna take a break, and then when we come back, I'm gonna talk a little bit about some tweets that we got during the Holly Robinson Pete show about what about our kids who are more profoundly affected and why. Why do they constantly get left out of the conversation really touched all of us here at autism live the many many tweets that we got from a dad and and I want to make sure that we address this so stick with us
2: Hello there, a fellow activist. You're an activist because you're making the world a better place for someone living with autism. Now on Autism Live, you learn all about your children. You learn about their bodies and their brains. But this empowerment moment is all about you. It's about your heart and your soul. Now don't worry, I'm not gonna have you start singing Kumbaya or doing chanting. Let's talk about blessings. One of the blessings of living with a child with autism is learning to love them unconditionally. Learning to love them despite all the ups and downs, all the sacrifices. In fact, you learn to love them more so because of them. I call this my empowerment prayer. God grant me the wisdom to see my disability as an opportunity, the courage to love my child unconditionally, and the faith. To live a life of purpose. So, going from the sublime to the ridiculous, I have a little song for you today. It's a rap song, so I know that an old or, okay, middle aged white woman rapping just doesn't seem right, but I'm gonna go for it anyway. My style is a little like Nicki Minaj meets Dr. Seuss. Nancy's Autism Rap. It's just a diagnosis, your life's not over. Don't lay there like a dog. Get up, Rover. You say your head is spinning with CF, ABA, IEPs, and neurofeedback? Autism tough, that much is true. But you'll survive because you're you. Kiss, 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 your life's not over. It's just begun, so walk out that door and go be someone. More Dr. Seuss than Nicki Minaj. Until
1: next time. Stay strong and keep the faith. Welcome back to Autism Live. Uh, on our live feature, I just saw that somebody had written in and said, Hey, Shannon, what is ABA therapy and how does it help people on the autism spectrum? Is ABA therapy only for children or can adults get ABA therapy as well? Which feeds into what we were just talking about. I just defined ABA for you. And I, and I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about what is therapy. And then I want to get to answering some of the concerns that um, we had somebody who tweeted in a lot during the Holly Robinson Pete show and I wanna I want to address because their question was what about the kids who are more profoundly affected by autism and why are they always left out of the conversation? And it all kind of feeds together. So first of all when we talk about ABA therapy and we just talked about what ABA is applied behavior analysis and when we use this for therapy we're gonna use the principles of ABA to teach skills and to decrease behaviors that we wanna see less of. That's really what it boils down to. I mean, it's much more complex than that, but that is really what it boils down to. And I wanna be sure that you know that when people are doing quality ABA therapy, they're using lots of different techniques within the scope of the realm of all those different things that we know about behavior in order to get it done. And that's gonna mean different things for different people but I want to be clear that ABA is for all beings that exhibit behavior. So you can use the principles of ABA on a rabbit. You can, and they, they did all kinds of testing early on, on, uh, rats and mice, but it absolutely works on adults. It absolutely works on children. And it works on people who aren't on the spectrum and it works on people who are on the spectrum. And we know that to be scientifically true, that has been proven Hundreds and thousands of times. So ABA, I, I will I will remind you that Olympic athletes train using the principles of ABA. Uh, that people in, in corporations use the principles of ABA to get their productivity higher, to make people happier, and to make them uh, produce more. And we absolutely know for a fact that ABA is effective in treating individuals who are on the autism spectrum. And that does not mean just children, it's also effective for treating adults who are on the autism spectrum. Okay. So Level playing field in terms of can everyone grow and progress using the principles of ABA? The answer is yes. Will it mean using different techniques? Imagine if we all sat down with a blank canvas and we were all going to paint a picture and we didn't decide what the picture was going to be. And you know, one person would use paint and they would use a certain paintbrush and they would get the effect that they wanted. Somebody else might decide to do collage and they would cut out different pieces of fabric and different pick pieces of cardboard and do the collage to do the picture someone else might find some other medium to do they might i you know we've been practicing at home melting crayons in a canvas right but we're all still painting and i want everybody to know that in aba you use lots of different tools and one of the things that we talk about here is giving you the tool belt to have those different tools in your tool belt so imagine that you've got a four-year-old who's on the autism spectrum and what they like is uh, it's a little girl and she likes tea parties so the reward that we're going to give her for overcoming the things that are difficult for her we're gonna do tea parties with her and we're gonna use that as a tool to help teach her behaviors that we want her to learn and we're we're going to help her to want to earn those things by offering that tea party as the reward and when she doesn't engage in those things we're not gonna um, punish her but we're we're just not gonna engage in the tea party with her. So she's gonna want to do those things in order to win the tea party. Now that's not gonna work for a 12 year old boy who doesn't like tea parties, right? So I want you to know that there are many different ways in which we teach with ABA and beyond just what the rewards are, they're different tools. Sometimes we use DTT and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on in the week. Sometimes they use pivotal response training. There are lots of different techniques that have qualified BCBA or a qualified ABA uh, therapist can use to help engage that other person and get them interested in doing whatever the task is that we're trying to learn. And there are very specific ways that we can intervene to encourage them not to engage in this behavior that there used to be a reward for, that we're not giving a reward for it anymore. Okay. So ABA therapy is very effective at creating progress, no matter where you are on the spectrum. Now, we had uh, someone write in several, tweet into us several times on the show talking about it's a dad of um, a child who is on the spectrum, and, and the dad was really saying, why don't we ever talk about the kids who are more profoundly affected, and why does it seem like so much attention is given to that, that ASPE group that's very high-functioning and that's good at computers, and why are we always leaving out the kids who are more profoundly affected? And first of all, I want to start and apologize and say, if that's what it seems like, I would never want that to be the reality. But here's where part of the issue is. And, and, I, and I'm going to talk very frankly about this. And, uh, and you can tell me I'm wrong. But part of the difficulty is that for so many years, so many of our kids didn't get the therapy that they needed and the therapy that they deserved. And that is not the parents' fault. That is not the parents' fault at all. It wasn't available. And even when it was available, there wasn't the funding so that anybody could reasonably afford it. So, so few people 20 years ago had the opportunity to get ABA for their children. And that's such a disappointment in our autism community. So we now have adults who are on the autism spectrum who are very profoundly affected that we don't know the answer to what would have happened if these particular adults had had the benefit of what so many kids have now. We're never going to know, because we we know that they would have made progress and they would have made it at a bigger rate, because science has clearly shown us that, but we don't know what their outcomes would have been. That is a heartbreak. And whenever I meet a parent who has one of those young people, I, I will tell you that there is a part of me that mourns for you at the lost opportunity from what we didn't know and what we didn't make available. But I'm also reminded that it's never over it's never over. If you have a young person who is very profoundly affected and has not had the benefit of really good quality ABA therapy, I want to urge you to put yourself in a circumstance where you can make that happen. And that means different things based on where you live. But there is progress still to be made. That is the one thing that I know for sure is that there is still progress even with those adults. Yes, I know, we don't know what the outcome will be. The science is still not there for showing that those tremendous leaps and bounds of progress can be made with people in that age range. But Let's not give up on anyone. We know that when people have used ABA with older individuals on the spectrum, that they have made progress, and progress is progress is progress is progress, right? So I want to encourage you—I um, feel your frustration, and, I, and I'm frustrated for you—but um, I want to encourage you to come and be a part of helping your child and your family to have a piece, own land in that promise of progress. Uh, And that means starting ABA. And it's never, never, never too late. Now, part of the reason why it seems like we don't focus as much time on that group of kids who are more profoundly affected is because we're focusing on getting them the ABA as early as possible. And what we know, and this is the heartbreaking part of this conversation, is that when those kids get help, they get—a lot of them get significantly better, significantly better. So they are no longer in that category, and they move into those other categories. Is that everyone? No, it is not. It is absolutely not. When I talk about the original LOVAS study, um, when they looked at the outcomes, they found that there were three very distinct groups of outcomes. There was the first outcome that was roughly 50% of the kids who got that early ABA, and those kids made the ultimate progress. They no longer qualified for an autism diagnosis. They were virtually indistinguishable from their peers. They were very high functioning and a lot of times had high, high IQ, right? And they went on to lead lives that were largely typical, as I said, virtually indistinguishable from their peers. Then there was a second group, and that comprised of about 30% of the the total, the 100%, and that group made tremendous progress. Those kids went on to be very productive. They were still identified as being on the autism spectrum, and you could recognize that there were different things that they struggled with, but they had very productive lives. They worked. Lo- they worked jobs. They had relationships. They were happy. There were times that they were frustrated, but they made tremendous, tremendous progress. Then there was the third group, which was a little bit less than 20 percent. And in that group, they saw that they still made tremendous progress, especially in the field of adaptive skills, that these kids were able to toilet. They were able to communicate. They were able to do jobs, but the jobs were much Uh, less complicated that they could do, but they were productive members of their families. They needed additional support throughout their lives, but the parents talked about the fact that they could toilet, that they had self-respect, that they had awareness, that they could have conversations, not always vocally, but that they could communicate. Now, those parents said, wow, this is huge and this is momentous and by the way in all three segments the challenging behaviors that were preventing them from being able to connect virtually slipped away Uh, there was still from time to time i mean you know i still engage in challenging behavior from time to time but largely the challenging behavior in all three categories was gone so the quality of life for all of the individuals and the quality of life for the families had gone up exponentially. You really couldn't measure the quality of life difference, how great it was. Now, one of the things that they also discovered was in that third group, a lot of times there was a dual diagnosis, that there was more more. I can't even say the word, comorbidities, that the, sometimes there was an, an additional diagnosis besides autism, which they felt was part and parcel of why that group didn't get to where this group or that group got to. So I, I would say to you, if you have a child who is very profoundly affected by autism, there are a couple of things that I want to urge you to do. Ask some questions. Is it just autism or are there other things going on for your child? Because a lot of times when a child gets an autism diagnosis, people stop looking. They stop looking about whether there are medical issues, whether there are other cognitive issues that are going on. Know for yourself as a parent, if it's eating you, find out what is going on, because there may be a way that the other issue can be treated that will help with treating the autism so that you can make more progress, right? So know for yourself, am I just dealing with autism or are there other things going on? As my child, as they say, twice exceptional, I know parents whose children are thrice exceptional that they have other challenges going on as well make sure that you're treating what you need to treat medically and make sure that you understand the full extent of what is going on with your child and then get quality ABA therapy please don't feel as though you missed the boat I I can't imagine what that must feel like for you, but please don't give up on yourself and please don't give up on your child. And if you tried ABA before and it wasn't effective for you and you didn't see progress, I really want to say to you from my heart that I believe with all of my being that you did not have the quality ABA therapy that you and your child deserve. And I really want to ask you, I want to plead with you to try again with everything that we know now, try again. And even if you're not sure, write in and let's talk about, let, let me help you to find a quality ABA therapy in your therapist, in your area so that you can make the progress that you know you want and that you know that is owed to your child. All of the kids in that original LOVA study made progress. And by the way, all of the children in all of the studies since then have made progress. Does the progress look different? You bet you. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the fact that they made progress. Whatever it is that you're going through, if you're going through the worst of challenging behavior, when I see parents who say, you don't understand, uh, and and in a minute, we're going to talk about a news story of just one of those parents. I, I tell you that early on, I have an understanding because I was there before we started ABA therapy, but like a lot of parents, we progressed out of that. I want you to have that opportunity to get further, but that but that comes with ABA and with some other things. And if you need some help, let's, let's get you the help to get there. But if your child is biting, if your child is running, if your child is hitting, if your child is smearing feces, if your child is not yet toilet trained and they are over the age of five, if your child has no ability to communicate their needs for you, we need to stop and make sure that we fix those things. Because those things are happening for a reason and you're, you're frustrated, you're exhausted and your child is frustrated and exhausted. And I'm telling you, there are answers. There are people who can and will help you to get through this. And, and and if it again, if it seems like we don't talk about that, it's because we talk about getting through that and progressing to the next stage. Join us. I know that we can see progress together. Ask for help, I'm happy to help you to figure out how that's gonna happen in your individual home, how you're gonna get hooked up to those services, okay? We're gonna come back and talk about a story about what happens when we don't get that kind of support. Stick with us.
3: Hi guys, welcome back to Smarty. This month we're gonna make some gluten-free Play-Doh. It's a great activity because A, I know a lot of our kids have an allergy to gluten, and B, it's super cheap and cost effective to make your own. So let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are one cup of white rice flour, half a cup of cornstarch, half a cup of salt, one tablespoon of cream of tartare, one and a half teaspoons of vegetable oil, one cup of water, food coloring, a saucepan, and a spatula. So as you guys can see, I'm in my kitchen. I'm gonna be using the stove top to make the play-doh. First what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take my pot and fill it up with all the dry ingredients, okay? Now that I have my dry ingredients in the saucepan, I'm now gonna add the what went the vegetable oil and the water. I'm gonna turn the pan onto low heat and continue stirring. What I want to make sure happens is that it gets solidified and gooky looking, you'll see in a second, but not overcooked, okay? You're just trying to get the materials to kind of congeal. You know the dough is ready. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna just take it off the stovetop and let it cool. Once it's cool, then you're gonna add your coloring, and boom, you've got gluten-free Play-Doh. Well, I hope you enjoyed the Play-Doh with your kids. Until next time, crap on, guys. Can you sing me? flying
1: by your side Welcome back to Autism Live. We're talking about quality ABA and making sure that we ensure that every individual in the autism spectrum has the benefit of that kind of intervention, regardless of age, regardless of ability. And, um, you know, it's something that I feel so passionately about. I was uh, There was a story in the news last week that we covered about South Dakota that in South Dakota they were pushing very hard to try to get insurance reform for autism passed so that a wider range of people could get access to services. And it didn't pass. It was defeated in, in their state legislature, excuse me, and um, one of the things that was really, really upsetting to me was that a representative for one of the insurance companies uh, stood up, and and I'm paraphrasing what she said, but she said, you know, this is very expensive. And, you know, I know that there are studies that say that it's effective, but, you know, it it really isn't effective at getting that great progress for all of our—all uh, of the kids on the spectrum. And that kind of talk, uh, just, to me, that's throwing down the gauntlet. Uh because who gets to decide what progress is substantive? And it leaves out the very important things when they say, well, you know, because if if we say that ABA is only uh, worth spending money on for people who are going to progress to the point where their autism is no longer longer visible, that is a great disservice to all of humanity. And a story that came out in the news this last week. It really drives this point home. Uh, This happened in Ireland, Callum Dale, 13 years old, had Asperger's syndrome and and this is another thing that I want to say is a lot of time people have that assumption oh well if somebody has Asperger's you know and they're able to communicate then that means that they're so much higher functioning and that they're not having difficulty with the challenging behaviors and you guys know that that is not always the case and this young man had a tendency when he was upset to run and unfortunately on the 15th of this month so just last week he was having a discussion with his father that he didn't like how it was going, and he ran out of the house and ran into the nearby road and sat down in the road. And I understand that this is not the first time that he had engaged in this behavior. Thirteen years old and very frustrated with his dad, his dad, terrified, ran out into the road, was begging him and trying to pull him off of the road, and he was unsuccessful. And a car came along and hit both of them. And it takes my breath away to say this, but Callum Dale, age 13 is no longer with us because of this. And his father is in serious condition and his mother stood along the side of the road and watched this all in horror. Now, this is not the parent's fault. And I really have to be very clear with you that this is not their fault. They did everything that they could, and they were doing their level best. And that father may very well have sacrificed his life to try to prevent his son from doing this. But when are we going to stop and see that these kinds of families need more help, and they need more support. And I will tell you that if this young man at the age of 13 had had access to really good quality ABA therapy, we can't know, but I I really honestly believe with all of my heart that he would not have died in this way. You know, accidents happen. And we can never prevent accidents from happening, but preventing somebody from running into the road and sitting down, yes, we can prevent that. When we give somebody the ability to communicate their feelings and the understanding that they will be heard and that they do have recourse, we prevent things like this from happening. But if we are going to say, well, we're only going to invest in quality ABA for individuals who are going to get to the point where they no longer need other supports, we are going to leave people like Callum out of the equation, and we are going to continue to have these kinds of tragedies happen. I I really want to—I I, want to empower all of us to say, first of all, we start in our homes and we make sure that we get that quality ABA therapy. And while we're going through quality ABA therapy, we get the help and support to keep our children safe because it doesn't just automatically on day one, do we teach a child not to elope. Sometimes that's one of the hardest things to do is to teach a child not to run away. And this was a teenager, right? still a really hard thing. So it might take six months or a year or two years to give this individual the skills that they need so that they don't have to run. Um, And while that's happening, we have to give others support to make sure that they're safe. But we can do it. We absolutely can. So we start with ourselves. If you're watching and you have a child that's engaging in this kind of behavior, please ask for help today. There are lots of different ways that you can ask for help, and and there are lots of different funding ways, uh, different organizations who will give you funding. I always talk about ACT Today. You know I love ACT Today. Uh, You can go to their site, act-today.org, and you can apply for a grant today. Day, an emergency grant if your child is engaging in that kind of behavior and you know in your heart that you've gotta stop it or something bad could happen. Please take action about that today. And then if your child is already safe, if you have had the benefit, as I have had, my child was an eloper, but I've had the benefit. Then I want to beg you to please turn around and do something for someone else. Advocate for someone else. We have a campaign that we're going to be starting in April, um, and and I'm choosing to focus here on California because that's where I am, and and I and you know I I already have uh, written and and to support those families in South Dakota, and if there's something specific. I can do to help the families in South Dakota to help get this passed please you know tell me and be specific but Nancy Allspot Jackson and I have decided that you know the hill that we're willing to take on next is here in the state of California Senator Dale St- uh, Daryl Steinberg has said that we need to get our Medicaid to cover our Medi-Cal to cover ABA again it used to and then it was taken away in the most recent budget cut and it is not okay for me as a parent to know that my child has the benefit of these therapies and there are families who can't afford it, who are at the most risk and that they are not being given access to that. Families who had that therapy and their children were progressing and they lost their funding because of budget cuts. This is not okay by me. And so Nancy and I are starting a campaign to take that on very seriously. If you've helped yourself, and that's the first thing, right? You gotta put the oxygen mask on yourself your family first help yourself first but if you are getting the help that you need help us to help other families and we'll give you more information about how you can do that in the coming month but let's not let this young man have died in vain in his name today do something for someone else so that these kinds of tragedies don't have to keep happening and they won't if we provide quality ABA services to these families okay taking a deep breath we are going to take a pause now and go to The A Word. This is an ongoing documentary that's being made at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders following a little boy, Jack Riley, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. And this series really shows us what early intensive behavioral intervention looks like in someone's home and what quality ABA looks like. It is not an overnight, right? It takes time. And we'll take a look at some of the different things. In the the recent weeks, they've been working with Jack Riley on stopping and going, because this is one of the early lessons that's going to help to prevent that elopement. It's not the be-all, end-all. It's not the only lesson that's going to prevent that elopement, but we're rewarding him for stop for stopping when the mom or someone else says stop, and we're giving him the opportunity to go right afterwards so that he, it's worth his while to stop. But let's tune in this week and, and see what's happening with Jack Riley after this interview we are so thrilled that we are gonna have with us Dr. Thomas Higby, and he's gonna be talking with us about video modeling. So stick with us and first watch the A-word.
4: This is Jack's morning routine. He just got out of bed. He's a happy guy. He's sitting with dad, drinking some milk, watching some tunes. Hi, Jack. Good
3: morning.
4: Good morning.
3: How old are you, Jack? Two. How old are you, Jack? Can you say good morning?
2: Googie. Good morning. Googie. Good morning. Googie. Good.
4: That's good. That's good. Sometimes he arranges the coins lately. Been, uh used to just put them straight in the piggy bank, and now he likes to play with them and arrange them. Nice.
3: Sense. We just have to require it. Yeah, more and percent. then
4: after that, we'll uh, move into more um, frames, such as, like, I want a train. Okay. I want this. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. So um, i have Dad hold the train and Daddy. Okay. Da. Daddy's but here. Daddy has the train, so, Mike, have him ask you through the tracks. You can even just hold it out in front of him, and then he'll even ask you. More? <clears throat> okay. So here we go! Yeah, good talking! Very good. I've never seen him play trains so intricately before.
3: Yeah. he's been, pretty much daily he's asked for his train once.
4: Can you say, say, give me! Okay. Hey,
3: good talking. There good you talking,
4: go! Good talking, buddy. Good asking. Good asking. Yeah, definitely his two syllables are just yeah. coming along really well. Yeah.
3: I mean, they're all. Most of them are approximations, they're the same every time. He's a little sedate today, actually. I'm surprised. (coughs) Excuse me. He gets concerned when I sneeze
4: and cough. Daddy, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. See that? Cheryl thought on that.
3: Can you say I love you?
4: Yeah.
3: That's I love you. Save every time. It's kind of like yellow. Yeah. Yellow doesn't melt us like that. Hi. We're going to be working on some pictures. Let me get your
4: picture first. What is it? Very good. Here you go. Here you go. He's doing a lot of imitating things, and um, in clinic the other day, we were um, we noticed that every time he said, look at me, he'd repeat it, but in his own way, so it comes out as baby. So every time he'd look at me, he's like, baby, baby. What is it? Pants. Hey, over here, look at me. Look at me. No over here. Look at me. Right here. There we go. That is a train. We'll play with it in just a second, okay? Hey. Look at me. Now look at me. Right here. There are your eyes. What is it? Pants. Pants. Okay, you can go. Good job. Okay, go play. Do you want the book or the trains? Book or trains? Trains. Okay, good. Go play. Go play with your trains. Go ahead. You can go play now. No. Oh, you want to look at the pictures? <gasps> more? More pictures? Here, you can look at the pictures. Here. Want to show Suzanne what you know? How about let's look at the ones that you do know. Those are the ones that you don't know. Bunny. Bunny. Wow. <laughs> oh, a lot more than I thought. <laughs> <laughs>
3: this one. Right. Oh, this one. Da-da. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da.
4: da <gasps> da You are so smart. Tiger. Tiger. Nice. Good job. Can okay, we get one else? What's this one? A. Hey. Ellie. Between last week and
3: today, Jack is able to label more cards. He's interested in identifying the images and consequently building his vocabulary. As the weeks progress in his ABA therapy, so has his skills. In two months, he's gone from babbling to enunciating certain words clearly. With prompting, he's able to practice appropriate speech when playing and requesting objects. Eventually, the prompting will fade and he will do it on his own. Each new skill acquired builds on the previous one.
4: You interested again? Here, why don't you go over there? Go over here, and you can see better. Train. What's that? Train. train. Ooh, you want to move it for me? Show me your train. Choo choo. choo, choo. Yeah, move it.
1: Welcome back to Autism Live. We are so thrilled to be welcoming for the first time here on the show via Skype, Dr. Tom Higby. He is coming to us from the Utah State University in Utah, and he is also the director of the Autism Support Services Education Research and Training Program, otherwise known as ACERT. Dr. Higby, welcome to our show. Thanks, Shannon. It's great to be here. So let's start by explaining to us exactly what ACERT is. Okay, uh,
0: Assert is a university-based intensive uh, behavior analytic preschool program for kids on the autism spectrum. Uh, we serve about 10 kids, preschool age, three to five, uh, in a in a here on the on-campus program, um, which is not unique. But the unique features of our program are that we serve as a training site. Uh, all of the early childhood special education majors here in our department um, do internships at Assert. I have a team of doctoral students who work with me who are being trained in how to do evidence-based practices in terms of interventions and assessments for kids with autism. And then we also do a lot of outreach to our local school districts here in Utah through the Assert program to help bring them up to speed on um, evidence based practices for kids on the autism spectrum.
1: Well, we all know how important it is to get our the next generation of uh, experts and the next generation of therapists trained properly, so I salute you for the work that you're doing. And is there a website that people in Utah, Utah can go to if they want to know more about ACERT?
0: Yeah, if, if you Google my name, you'll be able to find it, okay. uh, or you can go to our department webpage, which is S P E R dot USU dot edu forward slash assert, A-S-S-E-R-T.
1: Okay, great. And we have that up on the screen right now as you're talking. But Dr. Higby, I asked you to come on the show today to talk with us about video modeling. Uh, I mentioned to you yesterday that there was a study that we talked about on the show a couple of months ago and people, uh, the response from our viewers was overwhelming. They wanted to know more about what video modeling is and when you use it. And so can you help us out and let us know what it is and when and when and how and with who we should use video modeling
0: sure i'll do my best Uh, video modeling is a really fun intervention tool to use uh, for kids with autism and like most of our best tools it works so well because it takes advantage of strengths that our kids often have Um, i don't know how the kids are out there where you're based in california but many of the kids with autism here in utah tend to be very interested in screens yes they they tend to be very interested in movies Uh, And and a lot of the kids tend to be very good memorizers. Uh, And so what we do with video modeling is we take that skill, that uh, tendency to be interested in something, and that strength, and we turn it around and say, great, you're great at copying things, you're great at imitating, Um, not always in the appropriate circumstances. Um, So let's use that strength to our advantage. And essentially what we do is we create a videotaped sequence, just as you would if you were scripting out uh, a movie or a television show, but instead we're scripting out an appropriate social interaction most of the time, although the uh, video modeling has been used to teach a variety of different skills. We, we videotape uh, an appropriate social or play interaction, and then we provide our student on the autism spectrum with an opportunity to view that video, and then immediately afterwards have a chance to engage uh, with those same materials, with another peer, or with whatever the context is that's relevant.
1: Really remarkable. And and so it's not the child who's engaged in the behavior, it's someone else. Is it important for them to, uh, for the, whoever the, it is that's modeling the right behavior, is it important for them to be about the same age, or do you find that that isn't as important?
0: Well, that's a really great question and actually there, there are lots of different ways to do video modeling maybe i could just quickly talk about i
1: would love p- that
0: um the most common uh format is what we call third person video modeling which is that that i was kind of describing where we essentially videotape uh, two kids or two adults, uh, uh, interestingly enough, the research suggests that it doesn't really matter how, uh, how similar those models are to the child. You know, It always feels better to involve kids as opposed to adults, but the studies that have been done don't show that that's really a key variable for a lot of our students. But with the third-person video modeling, you, you videotape um, typically developing kids, let's just say, interacting in an appropriate social way, uh, and then the student has an opportunity to watch them. There's also what's called point of view video modeling uh, that's used more commonly uh, when we're trying to teach like a self-help skill uh, like washing my hands, brushing our teeth or perhaps transitioning between classes at school. And then what we do is essentially it's just like those GoPro cameras that the snowboarders wear. You, you, You shoot the video as if you were looking through the eyes of the student and they get to see what it would look like to complete this sequence of behaviors or this behavior and then they watch it and go do it. And then the third, the third kind of video modeling that's really interesting and got a lot of interest more recently is called video self-modeling. And here what we do is we videotape uh, our actual child, the student we're working with. We may have to prompt them through the sequence, but we, take, we shoot lots of video and then we edit it down to show the very child who's going to be watching the video performing this task or this sequence of tasks, these play or social interactions. And then they get to watch themselves doing it the right way through the magic of video editing. Um, wow. So that's an emerging technology. It takes a little more work, yeah. um, but, but for a lot of kids, that's really motivating to, to watch themselves on the TV. So you know, we've used different strategies for different situations, and there's not any research suggesting that one method works more better than the others do. I would say we use the, that third-person um, format most frequently because it's the easiest to do, uh, and it seems to, to work very well, although I'm interested in exploring more this idea of video self-modeling.
1: And so I'm curious. In all the uh, instances that you've explained, we're looking at the proper behavior. Do you ever do the, review, the reverse and show the the, uh, the behavior that isn't desirable?
0: Well, there there is another technique that's related to video modeling um, that's that's it's called video self-evaluation, where we'll we will do we'll, we'll we'll videotape the kid in a situation, and then we'll sit down with the student and draw their attention to specific things, um, but with video modeling we're, we're really trying to provide that positive model, we're trying to show them here's what you should be doing in this situation. Um, and the advantage of video modeling is that we can highlight the, the really important things that the student should be doing, we can filter out all of the extra background noise that is often present when we're trying to provide a live model or uh, use model prompts. And then we also, by using the video model, we ensure that they're seeing that good example in the exact same way every time. There's not a lot of variability that sometimes happens when we have different people uh, using model prompts, for example. Uh, so it's got a lot of positive things. And uh, while there's a little bit of more work on the front end of creating the video model, after we've created it, then it's simply a matter of sitting the student in front of the uh, computer screen or the DVD player or whatever the technology is we're using and having them watch it. and then immediately go and do it.
1: Yeah. I have to say, it makes great sense. It's very exciting to me. Is there an age range where you see that this is more effective or a or, uh, skill level that's more effective? Who could benefit from this?
0: Well, it, it mainly depends on the student's ability to attend to the, the, the screen mm-hmm. and their imitation abilities. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the task that you choose to teach will vary depending on the developmental level of the child and what their skills are. I focus mostly with preschoolers, and so we're working very heavily on play skills um, and social skills. Um, but you have to put some thought into how you create the video model. You don't want to, to be modeling Um, behaviors that that are several steps beyond where the child certainly is because there's nothing magical about it. Um, You want to have a sense of, you know, what is, what's, how long are the, if the child's talking, uh, how long are their statements usually, and then the statements that you build into your video modeling scenario should be about at that same level or maybe one or two words beyond, but you're not going to put in scripts uh, or statements that you want the child to be saying, you're not going to show in the video model a ten-word statement if our child's only communicating in three to four-word phrases. Uh, so what really changes, as long as they've got that basic imitation ability, what changes is the, the complexity of the skill that you're having them learn, uh, and the kind of the, the context, the length of the interaction and, and things like that.
1: And I you know, and I certainly have heard of this used for social skills and I hadn't really thought about it for play skills. So now now you've really got me wanting to ask a bunch of questions because we have a lot of viewers who will write in and say, you know, my child is having difficulty playing. just playing at all or playing with other children. Can you give us an example of uh, a play skill that you've used video modeling with successfully?
0: Yeah, we actually did a study a few years ago. Uh, We were really interested in taking this technology and exporting it to the home. And so we ran a study um, where we trained an older sibling of one of our students to be the play partner. And so what we did is we created some play scenarios Um, One was like a doctor scenario. We had like a Fisher-Price doctor kit, and so we scripted out a back-and-forth interaction about playing doctor. We scripted out a back-and-forth interaction about playing teacher. So the kind of sociodramatic play, and then we we trained the peer, uh, the older sibling of the child that was the target of our study, how to do his lines. We trained another typically developing peer to play the role of our child. We shot the video and then each day we had the student uh, sit down with his sibling They watched the video together and then had a chance immediately to interact with those same props and materials from the video they just watched. And we trained our uh, the, the peer to just say their lines and not engage in the, <laughs> not to, to do too much prompting right. to give our student the chance to do the things that he just saw in the video. And it actually worked really, really well. I um, love got it. the kids interacting. And, and the cool thing was, like a lot of structured interventions, once the kids kind of get the gist of that back and forth exchange, um, they're freed up to do more things. And we actually saw the kids using a lot, um, making a lot of appropriate statements that weren't things we directly taught them. They started playing, you know, varying what, the way they were playing the, the firefighter script, for example, and doing different ways. And we, we like a lot of good in- interventions that are structured, you get more than you pay for essentially. Once the kids get the kind of the gist of the interaction, they're free to, you know, vary and, and play in a more natural way.
1: I think this is absolutely remarkable. I, I know that we're going to get some questions from parents saying, is there a place where I can just order a video being made? I, you're not aware of anything like that, are you?
0: I think there are actually some, some groups that do produce those kinds of video models. Um, I haven't looked at them recently, so I, I, I'm not comfortable saying, but I can do some research and, and let you know if you want to post information someplace else. Sure. But
1: to be clear, though, at, where you are, you're making the videos yourself for the individual ch- children.
0: Yeah, we are. And, and these days, you know, back when we started doing this research, you know, 10 years ago, it was a lot more effortful than it is now. You know, everybody's got a smartphone or an iPad. You can shoot this it right there on the iPad and have it ready to go pretty quickly. It does take some time, but it's more in terms of planning it out uh, and, and shooting it in a way that makes it very, very clear. Because that's what you want. You want the model to clearly show um, the appropriate way to engage in, in this interaction or this sequence of behaviors.
1: And as you said, not muddy it up with a whole lot of other things going on. So right. uh, very, very clear about that. I thank you so much for shedding some light on this. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back on the show another time. Uh, maybe when we get some more questions from our viewers, I hope that you'd be willing to participate.
0: Of course, that'd be wonderful.
1: Thank you so much for being with us. and And say hello to everybody in Utah for us. I will. Great chatting with All you. All right, take care really remarkable. Uh, I I, I think that this is such an exciting way that we can key in, obviously, as he said, you know, maybe not for all of our kids, but uh, our kids who love screen time, this is a great teaching tool and something that we can be looking into more. If you already have an ABA provider, I would ask them about if they have uh, a way in which they can include video modeling for your child a very exciting, exciting uh, thing happening in our field. All right, we're gonna take a break and we're gonna be back with more of Autism Live after these messages.
0: This
2: is the second annual ACT Run for uh, autism and military families. We're down here in San Diego. It's
1: absolutely gorgeous morning.
2: All right, let's just start moving. Let's move in those feet. I know it's a little chilly, so of you're just arriving. Hey, okay, you guys are looking at and I want to remind you, you are running to raise money for an amazing cause. Our military families with a child of autism. You guys are heroes. Thank you. So are you ready to run? Go!
0: someone who's had a lot of friends who've had children with autism. And I'll tell you, there is nothing more heartfelt than watching the support that this organization provides for families and for militaries and for children.
1: Whoa, look at this little silver bullet on the side. He's going to win it. Oh my gosh, tackle him. Way to throw down a killer. Personal best, of course, on your act today, 10K. See, look at that. That is a serious commitment to no limits racing.
3: You know, a lot of times you hear things about autism, you're hearing about people trying to find a cure, but what happens to the people who are living with it daily with their children? And Act Today supports them with grants and funding for a helmet, for example. They say in in the lifetime of a child with autism, you can probably expect to spend about $3 million. So Act Today helps out with this
2: One in 88 military families have autism. That's entirely too much. We have an autism epidemic. It's almost impossible for families to get the care and treatment they need, particularly the military family, who moves on average every two years. Oftentimes, they have a parent deployed. Their children do not get the care and treatment they deserve.
0: I hope all of you guys enjoyed running today. We're extremely humbled to get to be the title sponsor of this great event, and it's gonna grow every year. We started off as a small company with a big vision and a few years later now we've uh, donated over three quarters of a million dollars thanks to uh, generous support and generous marketing from our charitable partners all right here we go
4: on five four three two one this is
3: international Beat mega radio smasher the time of my life, and I've never felt this way before, Yes, I swear, this is true, and I owe it all to you, oh, I, I
1: yeah, the time of my life, and I've never felt this way before, and I swear, this is true. Turn <laughs> a bit. Hey, hey, hey. And clap your hands, everybody, come on. Clever hit.
2: Uh, uh. I came up in here to rock, light a fire, make it hot. I don't want to take no pictures, I just want to make it hot. I was going to you.
4: You have the band going, you have friends here, you have just a great atmosphere, why not come out and you're in Southern California, you can't get better. I want
2: you to know you made a difference today in the lives of families with children with autism. You guys are amazing, you're activists, you guys rock. Bye everybody, see you next time.
3: This event would not be possible if we hadn't had the tremendous support of a sponsor.
2: We encourage everybody, join us next year. The party's going to be bigger and better than ever.
1: Welcome back to Autism Live. We ask a question every day of you guys, and I'm thrilled that today we have some time to to take a look at the answers that you guys have written in. Our question was, what one behavior do you wish you could change? And we said, open policy here. It can be a behavior that you're engaging in. It can be a behavior your child is engaging in or somebody else, right? And we're getting a bunch of responses, and um, I'm loving them. Now I'm thinking about the fact that I'm not good at math. Right. Um, in fact, I think I'm uh, in the math challenged category. Right. It, it's really difficult for me, and my son's in fifth grade right now, and my son's kind of extra good at math, and <clears throat> I have to check his homework, and it's really hard for me. And I have said, uh, you know, loudly and under duress, I feel like I'm in fifth grade again. And then I'm having to relearn all these things. Like, I really didn't need to know how to find the area of a complex tetra- tetrahedon or whatever they are ever again. I feel like I passed fifth grade and I, you know, I got my master's degree and I, I really don't need to do that in my day-to-day life. When I'm sitting here, I don't need to find the area of anything ever. Um, that's not entirely true. When I garden, I need to know the area of things. But for the most part I can fudge it, right? <laughs> really? It's not a skill I'm interested in getting, um, but it's a skill that I have to get. But what I'm noticing is I'm having to relearn this stuff, uh, because I'm hundred percent sure that I'm not smarter than a fifth grader. Um I, you know, I'm, I'm having to go back and learn these things, and I'm seeing with my adult brain, it's a lot more simplistic than it was when I, for me when I was in fifth grade. And one of the things that I'm seeing is there's a formula, and that within the formula, there's all kinds of different things that can happen, but there's a formula. So we're going to talk about these behaviors that you guys have listed, but I want you to know that... While all the behaviors, it's not a one size fits all at all, but there is a base formula. Let's say that. So, the formula of figuring out what to do to change a behavior is that first we have to understand is that all behavior happens for a reason. Now, if you want to argue that point, we're not going to get further along, but if if you do want to argue it, and believe me, I did in the beginning. I was like, no, sometimes behavior is just random. Okay, I will say and admit that I still think that there are still some behaviors that are just random, but then they don't happen again. If it's a behavior that's happened more than once, it is not a random behavior. It isn't. And if you stop and think about this for any length of time, you will you will come to this idea that, okay, it isn't happening in a vacuum. There's a reaction for everything, right? So if you engage in a behavior and something happens and you choose to behave in it again, there has to have been something that was rewarding for it, right, that thing we talked about, principle number one at the start of the show. Any behavior that we do again and again and again, it's because there's some sort of paycheck for it. We get a reward from it. So even these challenging behaviors that we, or the somebody wrote in and said, I'd like to change the behavior of the school district. We're gonna talk about that. So our behavior, the school district's behavior, our child on the autism spectrum's behavior, our, you know, our neighbor's behavior, our mailman's behavior, our dog's behavior, all these things, if it keeps happening, there's some sort of a paycheck, right? We call that the function of the behavior. The paycheck of the behavior is what's working about that behavior. I do this and you do that, woohoo. I like when that happens, right? And it's easy to judge and go, well, I wouldn't like it if that happened, right? But that person is liking something about it or they wouldn't keep doing it, right? Uh, I remember very distinctly as a child looking up and seeing that old electric burner that was up there and it was red and it was pretty and I wanted to touch it. I wanted to touch it. My mom had told me, no, 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 but I reached up and I touched it and it was painful and that was the last time I ever wanted to touch a burner, right? I didn't like the feeling and I don't want to touch the burner ever again again. Um, when something is not pleasant um, to us and everybody's tastes are different, then we don't want to engage in that behavior anymore. Um, but ABA doesn't focus on that, they focus on the other side of the equation, which is if we, if we are driven by things that we want to have happen, then let's change the variables so that things, uh, the behavior that we want to see, good things happen then. The description that I love that Evelyn Gould has said many times here in the studio, she says, think of it this way, that when when you do the proper thing, the lights go on and the party happens, and when you do the not right thing, then the party just doesn't happen. It's not a thing where you get lectured and told, you're not getting the party, right? It's just, a, there's like a, eh, nothing happened, right? It's just boring and dull. Um, not, not punitive, not punishing, but when you do the right thing, woohoo, the party happens. Okay, so in all of these things, we're gonna try to figure out how we would figure out the function of the behavior. And then once we know the function of the behavior, then we can start to think realistically about how can we shift the equation on its end. And when we, when we figure out the function of the behavior, when we do it properly, it's called an FBA, a functional behavior assessment. And it's a very specific process. And we we really want to leave that as much as possible to the trained BCBAs. But you know, we can armchair it for some things if it's not life-threatening, right? Um, And I like to to practice figuring that out. Uh, Okay, so uh, one of the things that somebody wrote in, they said, not exactly a behavior that we wish to change, But what we would like to know is why the hand flapping, why the humming, why the rocking? Is there any other scientific explanation other than being self-stimulatory behavior? And um, honestly, I'm just going to tell you, because for a long time I called it stimming and I called it self-stimulatory behavior, but I hated calling it because I looked at my son when he did those kinds of things and they weren't stimulatory it was self-soothing and i would get irked about it and then i met with a bunch of experts and they said well actually self-stimulatory is not the proper term um, for it that they actually call it automatically reinforcing because it might be that it's stimulatory or it might be that it's soothing there is something about it that feels good so i love this question and what i also love is that somebody wrote in and said, this is why I do the hand flapping. Um, and what he said is, I'll take a stab at this one personally for me, and this is not, this is for him, not for every single child, but it gives you, you an insight into what might be happening with your child. So this uh, young gentleman says, personally for me, the hand flapping, rocking, humming, etc." is sort of a release mechanism. It kind of lets a bit of steam off and it's also a bit of a visual indicator if I'm starting to struggle with something. I don't know why I do it. I just kind of, uh, I've done it as long as I can remember. Um, Now I will say that when my child, my child didn't do a lot of rocking, but he did do a lot of hand flapping and this would happen, you know, a lot. And I remember after he was diagnosed, I had never had a panic attack until after he was diagnosed. And then I had a lot of fear of having another panic attack. Cause anybody who's ever been through panic attack, you know, I don't want to feel that way again. Um, and I remember having somebody explain to me that this might be soothing. And I was in a moment where I was starting to feel the panic coming and I, you know, and I was like, what can I do to help myself? And I did this and I have to tell you, It was very soothing to me. Uh, There was something about it, it feels. I don't know when I, and I thought, Oh gosh, I kind of get it now. Um, and anybody that you've ever seen that's been in grief and they, and they rock, we know that, you know, there are things that happen in her ear when you rock that, you know, they why do babies love to be rocked? Some babies find it soothing. Other babies don't. Why does a person sit and click their pen compulsively, right? These are automatically reinforcing. There is something about it that is soothing to that individual. So if you have a child, who's engaging in hand flapping and if it is preventing them from engaging in behavior that you want them to engage in we we uh, we can't always find out with automatically reinforcing what is the exact thing that it's doing but we can kind of get an idea of it and what we want to do is give it a replacement behavior that doesn't prevent them from from doing the thing. So if, it, if we're trying to teach the child how to write and they're doing this, we're, we're not going to be productive, right? Um, but what we don't want to ever do is just take away the thing that, that has been reinforcing to them in some way. If this was soothing them or this was stimulating them, there's a need for it. So we've got to find something else that they can do that is not going to prevent them from the writing. I just think it's so important that we know that it's never just, oh, we'll take that away from them. Um, because without giving a replacement, a, we're not going to be successful and B we're going to create the potential for somebody to be very unhappy. And I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody to be unhappy, but especially my precious kid, that's just something that I'm not interested in. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate and believe me that I know this with my son, he is at an age now and a, and a verbal capability that he and I can have conversations about why, um, my son always, uh, and still, still engages in verbal stereotypy that he will make little noises. And sometimes they're very high pitched, like, um, R2D2 noises. When he's happy, he'll go. "Mm?" um, and make this little noise. Um, and other times it's stuff way in the back of his throat that he'll, when, when he first, um, transitioned into the world of autism, he would have his, he'd stop speaking and he would have his little characters. He had little, uh, I, I I think they were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, but they were bugs. So I don't know what they were. And so he would have them stand there, and he would go (laughs) and talk like that in the back of his throat. And sometimes he cycles back into it, uh, and it raises my stress level because it was a bad time. Um, But I recently asked him because he was doing it again, and I said, why do you do that? And he said, because it feels really good. My throat is a little bit, you know, full back here, and when I do that, it just kind of clears it all out. (sighs) You know, but he couldn't tell me that at three. And he couldn't tell me that at four or five. So do know, first of all, that it has a purpose. Whatever the behavior that your child is engaging in, it has a purpose. Um, I love talking to Temple Granite, and she talks about how she would spin that plate, that metal plate on the end of her bed, and that um, her mother eventually said, you know, you can do it an hour a day, and that's it, go do it, and then you're done. And she loved to pick up sand and have it fall through her hands. And I said to her, but why? What was it about it? And she said, uh, the metal plate, she said, oh, I still love to do it. I still, you know, love to spl- spin something that's metal because she said the way the light hits it and that if I spun it slower or faster, that it made, you know, a different pattern. And she said, it's still fascinating to me visually and the feel of sand and watching it go down, that there's something visually about it and the way light strikes it that is very soothing to her. So so know that it has a purpose, first of all, that it's not random. Um, will, will you get to know what the purpose is for your child? I don't know. Um, but I will tell you that when we found ways for my son to communicate when he was feeling anxious about something, uh, and when we found ways for him to communicate about when he was happy about something, other than going, mm-hmm, you know, he— Started doing those things more often. Um, I never see my son hand flap anymore, but he does still do verbal stereotopy because it feels good in his head and in his throat. Um, and we have given him other ways, and he doesn't. Um, I'm sure that I could have uh, made it so that he never did. Uh, vocal stereotypy, but I have to be honest with you, I I know lots of people who hum, and I know lots of people who make little noises, and, you know, I, I felt like it, it's something that's so joyous for him, and it's not preventing him most of the time, I think, you know, uh, and he is capable in certain circumstances when it's not appropriate, like when he's taking a test, he knows that he can't do it, and he's able to stop doing it. For me, uh, that's it. If he's able to control it and have an awareness socially of when it's disturbing other people and clamp down on it during that time and engage in it later, I think that's perfectly acceptable. Each parent has to decide for themselves, right? It's a very personal decision between you and your family. Um, But I do think that there's something freeing about understanding that, that... it has a purpose, that it's not random. Okay, so continuing on, um, one of the other things that somebody wrote here was the obsession with doors. Um, We know that a lot of our kids will find something that they're obsessed about, um, and for some of them it's opening and closing doors. I really want to encourage you to look and... um, it's not on our site, and Emily, maybe you can help me to know where they can find it. There's a video of Justin Mariquin, and we show it sometimes here on the show, that is part of the uh, Mission Possible series, where uh, my son is included in one of them as well too. Where they take kids who've made progress, and they're, they haven't all made the same amount of progress, right? Justin Mariquin is the exact same age as my son, and he's fully recovered, uh, seamless, seamless recover. But in the early days. And, and I, and it really tears my ticket when people go, Oh, he never had autism, excuse me. Um, but Justin Marroquin absolutely had autism and he was one of those kids who could not uh, disengage from a door. Like Laura, his mother, will tell about going someplace and trying to stay in a hotel and spending an hour because he couldn't get on or off the elevator because he was so fascinated with the doors and how he would, you know, go and slam and open a door and slam and open a door to the point where she was ready to run out into the street herself. Um, And you know, what they did was that they went through a lengthy process with that individual child where they found other things for him that were as reinforcing as the doors. And, um, but I would encourage you to take a look at the videotape and see where Justin is now to know that, you know, a child can absolutely get past that when you're working with the right professional, um, that they can help your child to engage with other things besides the door. And if you think about it for each child, it could be something different. I mean, you know, there's the whole mechanism of how the door shuts for kids who are mechanically inclined. That's fascinating. There's a noise that a door makes when you open and close it. Um, there's the feeling of the wind blowing when you shut it fast. Uh, so many different things that it could be of why your child is obsessed with doors but the right the right BCBA can get in there and observe the behavior and, and begin to figure out what it is about it and, and put a replacement behavior in there. Uh, it, you know, it's very effective when you work in that way. Uh, one of the next things, uh, that somebody wrote in about when upset, my son hits himself. Hardest thing in the world is to watch your child be so frustrated because they have so much to say, but they can't get it out at that moment. And, and what I hear there is a mom who is already beginning to understand part of what's happening function-wise here. Um, But any time it's self-injurious behavior, I really want to urge you um, and beg you to call on a BCBA. Honestly, be careful that you get a BCBA who has experience with autism and who has experience with self-injurious behavior. Make sure that you ask them that. And if you're already working with an ABA provider, say to them, we need to step up on this. I need an FBA done on this. And part of the equation I can tell you based on what you're saying is that they're going to say, we need to step up your child's ability to communicate. And sometimes that means giving them an alternative means of communication. Um, for an interim, or for longer, right, but nothing can be more frustrating to an individual than not being able to say what they need. Uh, you know honestly, if it happened to us and i i 've watched my dad had a stroke, uh, my dad was an incredibly intelligent, articulate professional, and he had a stroke at the age of fifty. 152 and uh and the frustration that he went through when he could not find the words to be able to tell you what he wanted um it's it's not just kids on the autism spectrum if you have no way to communicate it is so debilitating to spirit. So we really want to make sure that we give every ability to a child to be able to communicate. It may not be your ideal um, to give your child uh, some sort of a tablet device that, that's got a program on it that they can have assisted communication, but but please don't think to yourselves, I, I'm not going to do that, because that's going to preclude speech. It doesn't. In fact, science has shown us quite the opposite, that when we give a child who is not yet verbal communication, that over 50 percent of those kids will then become verbal, and they'll become verbal faster than kids that we don't give the technology to. So. Really, you know, make sure that you're doing everything you can with your ABA provider to give the most ability to communicate and that you're reinforcing the you know what out of any kind of uh, any kind of communication that's happening. Um, and, and, and then on top of that, so that's one part of it, right? Um, but on top of that, that you're having someone who is a a trained BCBA an experienced BC, BCBA with self-injurious behavior to help with that self-injurious behavior. Uh, okay. Somebody else who says the rambling and the stuttering, it goes on and on, although he's usually pretty happy and excited about something when he does this and he seems happy. I'm just a little afraid he will get frustrated with it as he gets older. And I do think, you know, thank you for writing that in because and thank you for your sensitivity to your child about the fact that they're happy and they're excited and they're rambling and stuttering. Um I, I will tell you that um I think it's true that when the kids get older, what's appropriate for a four-year-old and that a lot of times you go, well, you know, they're four, right, isn't going to be appropriate for the eight-year-old. And then when they're nine, the other kids are going to start to pick fun at them. So you do want to make sure that you're working and it's ideal to start as early as possible so that you don't have to uh, work on it quickly because the key is working very, very slowly on these kinds of things. Um, I can tell you, I love to talk. I absolutely love to talk and uh, I get excited and you see me get excited here and sometimes my, my mouth doesn't go as fast as my brain. Uh, I get going a little bit too fast. It used to drive my mother crazy when I was a kid and my mother's method of doing it, which is not ABA by the way, uh, especially at the dinner table. I loved sitting down to the dinner table because my parents encouraged the free flow of ideas and thoughts and we were allowed to say our opinions and disagree with them. And I just loved it. And, um, but I would get excited and my mother hated it. And so what my mother would do is toss a glass of cold ice water across the table at me at the, I know it's horrible, right? And then I would cry because I would be humiliated and I, it's something that as a mom, I'm always so aware of with my son that sometimes he gets going and I, you know, it gets to the point where I can't understand him. And that I always want to be aware of honoring his spirit, that I have to help him to be able to stay communicative. Right. But I don't want to ever make him feel like after we've worked so hard for him to be able to speak, I don't want him to feel like, uh, what he's saying doesn't matter. Right. Or that it's annoying so it's a tough and I really appreciate um, that you're already thinking in terms of those kinds of things but uh you know, if there's—if you work with the right BCBA, they can come in with your child and have them feeling that excitement and get them to slow down, you know, whether it's that introducing a toy and saying to them, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this toy, and it's so exciting, we're going to talk about this toy, and I want you to talk about this toy, but we're going to practice uh, talking really slowly. Um, and then if, you know, if you're able to do that, then you're going to get to play with the toy and you can rehearse it beforehand and bring the toy out so that they get the feel of it, that this is what it feels like to be excited. And this is what it feels like to be excited and talking and not going so fast. It's like, I'm still working on it, (laughs) you know? but I think it's ideal to work on it. Make sure you're working with somebody who is gonna reinforce your child for it. Uh, another person talking about obsessions, and we've had uh, Dr. G- Dr. Dorian Gramsci talking about obsessions before, um, and that obsessions are often tied to anxiety, and that really we have to address the anxiety and move very, very slowly to let them know that it, it will be okay, whatever that anxiety is, but it takes a level of of, uh, work right it takes time and patience and looking at it and figuring out what exactly is going on um, really intense work I'm realizing we've gone on a long time uh, other people have written in about um, some things though that I really want to discuss so we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and talk about some more of these in particular tantrums and hitting so stick with us
5: hi welcome to camp discovery a free-to-play suite of fun interactive learning games for kids 2 and up, designed by experts in autism. Camp Discovery will open your early learner to a world of new skills, shapes, numbers, colors, locations, emotions, and more. Let's get started!
4: Please choose a level.
5: Objects! First, Camp Discovery's Intelligent Preference Assessment determines your child's preferred reward for choosing correctly. Okay, got it! Let's play! Camp Discovery creates a motivating learning environment for your child by minimizing incorrect responses and maximizing successful ones.
4: Find the shoes.
5: Respond correctly and your child is rewarded with their favorite animations!
4: You did it!
5: Respond incorrectly and our unique prompting system guides your child to the correct answer by making it the largest choice.
4: That's not it. Try again. Way to go!
5: Continue to answer correctly and the size gradually reduces until the child makes the correct choice independently. You win! Success! Rewards motivate learning. Complete a round and your child is rewarded with a fun mini-game. Track your child's progress with easy-to-read graphs. Multiple settings options allow you to customize Camp Discovery to your child's unique needs. All this in one single app. The Camp Discovery app available for free on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon store.
1: Welcome back. We have been looking at some of the uh, answers that you guys have written into the question of the day. The question of the day was, what one behavior would you like to change? And it was open-ended. It could be a behavior you're engaging in. Your child can be engaging in your significant other. Somebody wrote in said the school district. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, but I wanted to come back and talk about some of these because they're really, really amazing things that you guys have written in. Somebody said, the endless questioning about everything. I have to explain every detail of our every move. I know many people have it much worse with kids who are nonverbal, et cetera. But I wish I could run an errand without explaining why, where, when, how long, what for? Uh, I'm sending you an air hug because you and I are related. I remember years ago when my child was just being diagnosed with autism and I was at somebody else's home and it was a grandmother and her four-year-old grandchild was standing there and was asking a million and eight questions. She was like, why, why, why is this? Well, why, who is that? And what are they doing? And she just kept on asking the questions and the grandmother went, Oh, you know, you have a child, right? And I said, yes. And they said, and she said, how old? And I, he was about to be four at that point. And, uh, and she goes, oh, then, you know, my pain. And because at this stage it's just endless questions. It drives you crazy. And I burst into tears because, you know, my child wasn't speaking and, i was hopeful that he would ever ask a question right and then she felt terrible and i said to a friend i said if i ever and she said but you do understand what i said oh i completely understand i've been around four-year-olds before and they can drive you batty um and and i said but if my child ever gets to that point ever gets to that point and he might get to that point when he's 8. I'm never going to, you know, be frustrated. I'm going to love each and every question. And it was about a year later that he asked his first question and I almost wrecked the car because he asked a question. And it took a couple of more years but we cycled through that phase where everything was a question. And sometimes the Spanish Inquisition still shows up and he asks a million and 18 questions and of course, you know, I'm a liar because I get frustrated sometimes. I try to remember, remember you prayed for this, you prayed for this miracle, but sometimes, you know, we reach our human limits. So the one thing that I wanna to say to you, and it's something that we've talked about with Dr. Doreen Granbache before, um, cause sometimes uh, uh, people have written in too, and I've said that my son will do this sometimes too, that we'll be in the car and he'll ask me a question. Like, and usually for him, um, you know, it can be around food or, or something that he wants, that he'll say, I'm hungry, you know, when are we having dinner? And I'll say, Well, I'm driving the car right now, um, but we're gonna go home and we're gonna eat this for dinner. And so, you know, dinner's gonna be uh, in a little while, right? (laughs) Well, uh, and then five seconds later, he'll ask me the question again as if he never asked me before. So we have that kind of thing happening with questions. And then we just have the kids who incessantly will ask a question about, you know, why is she doing that? What are we gonna do next? How many items do we have to get to the store? How long are we gonna be here, da da, da, da. But the first question that I'm gonna ask you is, have you stopped and think about what's really going on? And I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case with your child, but in some cases, and I've noticed this with my son and with other people's um, children they've said, Oh my gosh, that's it. Um, there is a level of uncomfortable that they're experiencing. Um, and when you ask questions, it's because you're wanting to take control of the circumstances a lot of the time. So when my son says to me, I'm hungry and I say, okay, we're going to eat in a little while. Dr. Grandpachet, if she were here, would say to me in a little while means nothing. <laughs> like you need to say, you know, here's the clock. And, you know, it says 613, and when it says 637, that's when you're going to get to eat. But you have to be able to deliver then, right? Um, and that a lot of times our kids will, like some of the things you say saying about when you're running an errand, explaining why and where and when and how long and what for, um, that to me sounds like it's potentially some anxiety. And imagine if you would, if I were to come and say to you, I'm picking you up at three o'clock today. Wouldn't you have some questions? Okay, where are we going? I'm picking you up at three o'clock today. And you would wanna know how long are we gonna be gone? What are we gonna be doing? How do you wanna be dressed? Are you gonna be back in time to eat dinner? Like you would have questions, right? You wouldn't expect, I wouldn't expect you to just get in my car and we drive away and that you have no idea where we're going or when we're gonna come back or, you know, there is a, a certain measure of all of that that you would wanna know. It's hard with kids, because they don't always listen to our responses. But a lot of times giving a kid like that a visual schedule, um, and you can make one for yourself, uh, you know, where you can say, we're going to these three stores, and you can take pictures of those three stores. I know it sounds time intensive, but honestly, if it helps your child to reduce their anxiety and ask less questions, you might have more fun. Uh, You know, I still now, when I'm going to go someplace with Jem, he'll say, well, how many places do we have? to go. And a lot of times I don't know how many places we have to go, right? Uh, So I, I usually round up. If I know we have to go to four places, I'll say around five right? And we'll walk into a store and he'll say, how long are we going to be here? How many items do we have to get? And sometimes what I'll just, cause you know, sometimes I'll say, I've got eight items that I have to get and I want you to help me remember them." And I distract him and say, help me to remember these four items that you have to remember, or I'll give him something to do. If I need to shop for a while, that's an ideal time to put his phone and put the headphones on and we shop and he's got his tunes. So he's got something else to focus on right so that i can still shop and that we can enjoy each other uh other times i don't let him be on the uh headphones you know uh for the longest time when he was younger i'd put him in the cart and give him um used to be his ds now it's his phone now he's too big to stick in the cart <laughs> he's just too big to stick in the cart so he's back to not liking shopping guess what my husband doesn't like shopping either and my husband will say how long are we going to be here nobody wants to be just feel like they have no say so see if you can't quiet if it is anxiety and i don't know that it is see if you can't quiet some of the anxiety distract him play a game if you can while you're shopping we used to play things like i spy especially if we were in line at the you know checkout and having to wait he, there was something about that that his anxiety would just wrap up uh, ramp up so we would you know i spy something red and then you know we would have I would turn it into something fun and distract. Um, if he's asking questions, answer his question and ask him a question. That's a great way to distract, right? Uh, so if he says, "Where are we going?" Uh, and you say, "We have to go to the store, to the grocery store," before he can say the why, you can say, "What would you like to have for dinner?" If he's at that stage where you can have that kind of a conversation. Uh, and see if that kind of thing can help you. But know that there is a function there, that part of it, whether it's reducing anxiety to have control, there is a reason why your child is asking questions. See if you can't turn it around and make it something positive. Now, um, somebody else wrote in and said tantrums and hitting. So important that we figure out what the function of the tantrum is, what the function of the hitting is. I've talked before on the show about Doing a three column to help yourself out. You take a piece of paper and you fold it into threes, right? And on the top of the paper, you write A, B, C. We all know our A, B, C's, right? In behavior, we want to know the A stands for antecedent, what happened right before the tantrum. Then the B is the behavior, and you want to, the experts call it the topography of the behavior. You want to write, you know, what it was, how long it went on, what. You know, did they kick? Did they hit? Did they bite? What did they do? And then the C is the consequence. What was the consequence for the behavior? Now, I recommend that you keep, if your child's engaging in tantrums, you start this kind of a log. It's a behavior log, an ABC, you know, behavior log. Uh, they, they call it the three contingents, uh, but the ABC is a behavior, right? And so when the tantrum is happening, make sure that you're not feeding it. By giving it attention and you're not giving into it so if it if you're someplace and the child wanted something and you didn't give it to them and then they gauge in, engage in the tantrum make sure you don't give in to them right you don't give the thing that you that you're doing um, but and try not to you never ever ignore the child but once you've secured the area and made it safe don't give attention to the behavior it feels horrible i uh, just going to put that out there. It feels terrible. You feel like a bad parent. Um, and especially if you're in public and people are like, why aren't you doing something? And you know, the child is snotting themselves and screaming and trying to overturn the shopping cart. My child's done that and turned over the shopping cart in the middle of a tantrum in Whole Foods right? Um, but you try not, don't get into a discussion with them while it's happening. Think like a scientist and think to yourself, what exactly are they doing? What happened before? The next opportunity that you have when they're safe and you're safe and it's over, start with the behavior because that will be freshest in your mind, won't it? Um, and then write down what the consequence is. And that's sometimes the hardest because then you that's the clear thinking moment when you go, oh, Right after it was over, I gave him a lollipop. Oh, that was probably not the best thing I could have done. Forgive yourself, just note it, and then go back and think what was happening right before. And then if the tantrums are, are getting bigger and huger and lasting longer, have somebody else come in and help you to look at why this is happening. There are lots of ways to head a tantrum off, but it depends on what the function of it was. I always talk about the four usual suspects. There's really only four main reasons why a child usually engages in a tantrum. One, because they wanna get access to someone or something. They want that toy, they wanna be with mom, they want that lollipop, right? Uh, Or they want to uh, escape someone or something. You said it's time to turn off the TV and go to bed, and they throw a hissy fit so that they're not going to bed. Um, They, you know, ran down the street away from you because they didn't want to work on the thing that you wanted to work on. you know, so escape is a big one. Um, then uh, the, the even bigger one is attention. Uh, people do things for attention. And remember that this one, it's sort of a, a crazy one because a lot of times we think it's positive attention. No, somebody who is attention, in, attention deficit, that they haven't gotten enough attention. I'm not talking about ADD, ADHD. They haven't gotten enough attention. Bad attention is great. If you're yelling at them, that's attention. I know that's weird, but it's true. And then the last one is when it's automatically reinforcing, which we've already talked about a little bit that it has some sort of pleasurable. I think that, you know, there is, there. and by the way, it can be more than one. And it, I don't know when the last time was that you threw a tantrum. There can be something very, that feels good about it to finally blow and yell and go, I'm done, right? I think every parent has done that at some point, right? Um, that it just feels good to finally explode and let it all out. And so for our kids sometimes, It can be that as well, too. But usually for a tantrum, there's something else going on, too. It's that attention, that escape, or access to someone or something. And the real true reality that hurts, hurts, hurts is that if your child is doing multiple tantrums, it means that somewhere they're getting one of those three things. They're getting out of something, they got attention for it or they got access to someone or something for it, and you gotta pinch off the supply to those things. It looks different in all of those cases. If somebody wants attention, then you're you're not gonna give attention to the behavior, but you're gonna find ways to give them attention for everything else. You're going to try to give pile the attention on so that the tantrum never happens. But if the tantrum does happen, you're not going to give the attention. Uh, but if it's to escape something, you're going to give them a bunch of attention because you're not going to let them escape. If they if they throw the tantrum because they don't want to go to bed, you're going to be giving them attention because you're going to be picking them up and putting them in bed and keeping them there in bed. Not you know physically restraining them you know in a horrible way, but keeping them in bed with you know tons and tons of attention. But depending on what the function is two entirely different ways of going about the intervention so the function 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 what's the function that's going to be one of the most important things and then uh, two quick things here somebody said i just wish i knew what my child was thinking that's what i wish that was my biggest wish and i tell you that we did quality aba and i now can ask him what are you thinking and he can tell me don't give up on that that's a good thing to wish for. And then for the person who said, I wish that I could change the behavior of school districts, therapists, and private contractors who benefit greatly, we can when we all stick together, because what's reinforcing for them nine times out of 10 is that they get access to more money rather than spending it on our kids. And when we convince them that they're not going to save money, that is when they will change the behavior. I will say too, that in some cases, the administrators are afraid because they don't know what to do. So when we get them training and when we teach them, them. It's less expensive to do it this way. They are starting to turn around and we just need to hold that line. We're so out of time. Tomorrow, Dr. Doreen Grandpachet is going to be here with us, and she's going to be answering your questions live on the show. Make sure that you're writing in. Then we have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, and a very special guest, Jenny Wu, is going to be with us, and she's going to be talking about what it's like being a military family that has autism in their family. You're not going to want to miss it. really emotional. Uh, until, then, we, uh, until then, please give your child a hug from me, and keep after it. We can do this, right? Uh, bye-bye for now.